on Jesus' bailing list. Yet I will walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And why, why, why do I say this? Because we got Holy Ghost power here today. We got Holy Ghost power. I got a shield of his son's blood wrapped around my body. Can anybody say we got Holy Ghost power in this tent today? But Jesus went to hell. He made a house call on the devil. He took him off of his throne. Down a backflip on the devil. And stripped him of all of his power. And come out of hell with the keys to the kingdom. And church, we got the keys to the kingdom. Church, church, we got the, we got the keys to the kingdom. Get ready, because that's what we're doing in a minute here. <laughs> Every time I t- like say I'm going to talk about the Holy Spirit, either I get an email or a, somebody will stop me and say, you know, Jeff, I, I like you or I trust you, but I don't like, and then they'll describe this. And I'm thinking, I, I realized when I was first here, maybe, but I've been here two years now, and I would think you'd know, in most things in life, I try to be balanced. That that's not what I'm going to do. Has anybody ever been to a meeting like that? Anybody? Oh, okay, more than I thought. When I was growing up, I experienced, I mean, it could have been that exact meeting. If you've never watched the movie The Apostle, it's one of the greatest stories of redemption, a sinful, flawed man, but God still used him. So if you're ever saying, well, God can't use me, watch that movie, and I realize it's a made-up story, but all the people in that except for Robert Duvall and I think the woman, but all the men that are up there, they're actually all tent revival, southern tent revival guys. Like, th- that's what they do all summer. And um, so they got actual people, and that's what they do, and they had them do it for a movie. Um, but that's kind of how some of us picture, anytime somebody says, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, that's what they picture. So then they're freaked out, and they put these walls up instantly and think, well, I don't want that. You know what? That's not what I'm looking for either. But what I don't want to do is shut down the Holy Spirit working in me and through me in the way that God wants him to. And so it's hard to find this thing where we want to feel safe, we want to feel prepared, and yet I want to be challenged to do what the Holy Spirit wants me to do. So that's where we're at today. Jesus Christ is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. How many of you recognize this? There's a great YouTube video. If I hadn't shown that, I would have shown this. It's a little kid, probably between four and six. It's been circulating on the Internet that sees a phone booth. And his parents try to explain to him what a phone booth is. And it's not going so well. And finally, he gets one of their phones, and he goes in there thinking that's what you do, is you take a phone, and then you go into a private spot to make your cell phone call. And so 
He just doesn't understand it at all. Um, But in 1925, there were nearly ten times as many public phones like this as there were phones in people's houses. Not quite ten times, but almost ten times as many. It wasn't until 1947, just post-World War II, some of you may have even been alive, that home phones surpassed what was in public places. These used to be at places, uh, you, you might have them downtown, they were quite oftentimes at like a newsstand or a paper, uh, you know, place where you go buy magazines and newspapers, a drugstore, that type of thing. Because a common thing was, if you needed to talk with someone, you'd go, you'd make your call, you'd look at the number and say, yeah, I'm at this number, you'd hang it up, and they'd have chairs right there. You'd sit down next to it, denoting that you're waiting for a call, and just read your magazine, and then when the phone rings, you get up and, you know, hello? Almost as if it was your home phone, but you're just sitting in a newsstand or in a, you know, at a drugstore or something. In 1947, home phones finally surpassed pay phones for the first time in the United States. You're hard-pressed to even find a pay phone anymore. They still exist once in a while. I, I, I didn't realize they disappeared, until I saw one somewhere and I was like, oh, they still have those. And I hadn't realized they'd gone away until I realized because I saw one again. Then came along the house phone. Now the house phone is great, some of you may have remember this, as long as you don't want to go far. Some of you may have had one attached to the wall. We had one attached to our kitchen wall that had about a, this little part here, this little cord here, was like, I don't know, like 15 feet long. And when we lived in uh, Michigan, I could go all the way and go, go into the pantry and close the pantry door if that's what you did if you wanted privacy. Because, you know, you don't want people to know what you're saying. And uh, on these, I remember I used to be, if you've never used a rotary dial phone, it's like, it takes like seven minutes, and if you dial a number wrong, oh, it's like the, you know, it's like four, three, five, five. Oh, no, that's a six. No, no, no. Oh, I've got to start over. And if there's more than one zero in a number, you just go, I don't need to talk to him that bad. I'll talk to him next week. Because um, I'm not waiting. I don't have that kind of time to be dialing zeros. And that was, that was the world we live in. And it was a great way to exist and survive, but it wasn't the most convenient. You were tied to this thing where I can go there. That's it. If this was plugged in, that's how far I can go. In my pocket, I have a cell phone, just a regular old cell phone. I've had it since before I realized I've had a cell phone longer than my son's been alive. I hadn't thought about it until I thought, oh, I remember getting my first cell phone, and I was about to tell people about that, and then I thought, man, I'm old. My son's never known me when I didn't have a cell phone. I've had the same cell phone number for 15 years. I have moved probably six times in that 15 years from one house to another, from one town to another. I've moved that many times, five, six times I have moved in my son's life. Same phone number because the system changed. I take it with me everywhere I go. People say, well, are you going to get a local number? And I'm like, no. Why would I do that? That's ridiculous. You can have the same cell phone number for the rest of your life, people. Get with the times. People don't change numbers anymore. You just change phones. (laughs) The thing is, I have so much more now freedom on this cell phone than I ever did on this. This did the job, but now I have freedom. And that's really what the Holy Spirit is about. We've talked about how body, mind, soul, 
you know, kind of the emotion, all, it, it all ties in to make up who we are. Different parts make up our whole being. The, the idea of love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and body, or mind and strength. That's what it really comes down to. In 1 Corinthians 2.15, if you want to turn there real quick, we're going to look at a verse here. I marked my things, but for some reason, I never do this, but I pulled my paper clips off after reading them. So now you're going to have to be patient this service. But 1 Corinthians 2.15 says, But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he who himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. All right, so we have the mind of Christ. If we have the mind of Christ, then that changes who we are and how we are and how we live and what we do. See, outside the church, there's all kinds of debates as to whether or not God is real. Is he real? Is he who he said he is? Did he do what he said he was going to do? That's what goes on outside the church. But within the church, I would say probably the most controversial topic you can have is the Holy Spirit and his role in our lives. If you take the church as a whole, and I'm not talking about one hot-button social issue because there's those come and go, but the long-standing debate since, really since the year 325, I know you think, wow, it goes back that far? Yeah, that's the first recorded debates on the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In the year 325, you may not even have known like that churches were existing then, but already there was hotly contested debates over the role of the Holy Spirit. And that comes down to this. People are scared of what they don't understand. People are scared of what they don't know. And so in order for them to better, like, feel safe, we're going to make our own doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you, I'm not here today to create a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. I'm not here today to say, this is the one and only. What I'm here to say is this. Let's not be freaked out by what we don't understand, but let's be open to what the Holy Spirit wants to do in us as individuals. All right? We're part of Foursquare. They have a distinct stance on the Holy Spirit. But I'm here to tell you one other beautiful thing about our denomination. They don't say, well, this is what you have to preach, or this is how you, what they say is, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the baptizer with the Holy Spirit? Yes. All right. Then we can sort through that, and we may have slightly different points of view, but it's okay at the end of the day. So, in order to understand the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, or why we need the Holy Spirit, let's look at a little bit of what he does. First off is Galatians 5. And some of you probably know this passage. And we start at verse 22. All right, you ready? Here we go. Sorry, my paperclip system. It's failed me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. All right. So, we want to see these things in our life. We want to see the fruit of the Spirit. It's not easy, and it takes time. 
And it's not where you can just say, well, I don't have enough of this, so I'm going to work on this. It's not a self-help manual of things that you should have. It's an active working spirit moving through you and in you. And it comes down to this one word. If, you wanna, if you're a note taker, if you want to write this down, it comes down to one word, and that is surrender. At no point does the Holy Spirit take away your free will. At no point does the Holy Spirit take you over and you can't control yourself and you're doing whatever it is. You still have free will. The Holy Spirit moves through us. There's gifts. There's things like tongues and prophecy and and laying on your hands for healing and words of knowledge. Those are gifts to the church. But he doesn't force them on you. And if you've been told, well, if you'll just do this and this and this, then you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's not how it works. I've had many people tell me, well, I went up to be prayed to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but it didn't happen. And that breaks my heart. Because why would he withhold something from you that is designed so that you don't have to be attached anymore? It's designed to give you freedom. I'm going to talk more on freedom in just a second out of a couple of scriptures. But it's designed so that I don't have to be attached to the wall. The baptism of the Holy Spirit has nothing to do with your salvation. It has to do with your ability to fully grasp the freedom that God created you to walk in. It does not have to do with your salvation. It has to do with the freedom He desires for each one of you. People have asked me before, well, well do you believe that you know, this is for today, or that, do you believe in tongues? Or do you be- I believe all the gifts that it says are listed in Scripture are there for you. And I've told you before, I'm not here to spoon-feed you. If you don't know where those are and you want to know, email me. I'll talk about that. I'll talk about why I believe it's true from my own life. But today is not about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I don't want us to get caught up in, well, this is how you have to do it. And I've been to many camps and many conferences and many things where they say, this is what, how you do it. If you'll just say these words, if you'll just say this prayer, if you'll just say... And I want to tell you today, that's almost, almost the opposite of what he tells us. Because what he tells us is, those who are made of spirit will know me in spirit. He tells us that there is freedom. And when I say you have to do A, B, and C, and D, that doesn't lead you towards freedom. That leads you to, you have to follow my rules or some other person's rules. We are given freedom. Do I value the Holy Spirit's work in my life? Absolutely. I know myself. And the things the Holy Spirit can do for me, I desperately need them in my life. The fruit of the Holy Spirit, when I've said this many times, but when you see me and you say, wow, you look like Jesus, that's Jesus inside me. But when you see the bad stuff, that's my old nature. That's not me. Or, I mean, that's not Jesus. That's my old nature. Anything that's good is from God. And anything that's not is from me. And don't ever confuse the two. And don't ever confuse it in your own mind either. The sinful ways you have, those are yours. And the things that are good, those are the things that God has already begun working in you. And he tells us, I'm going to continue working in you until the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm going to continue working in you until you die 
or until he returns. Next week we're talking about the return of the king, the return of Jesus. So Jesus is going to keep working in you until you're dead or until he comes back. Whichever comes first, you're not done. And that's where the Holy Spirit works. So first off, the Holy Spirit illuminates. Sometimes people will come up to me after a message and say, I really like how you said this. And they'll tell me something. And my first thought is, I didn't actually say that. But you know what happened? Through your own understanding and through your own knowledge or your own background or your own circumstances, the Holy Spirit illuminated something in your own life. I've had people come and say, I wish you'd stop talking just about my sin. And I always want to say, first off, I'm not that good. I, I don't know what you're doing in your life most of the time. Second off, even if I know, I'm really not a judgmental guy. I'm not saying that even if I think it's a sin, I'm not finger pointing saying, you stop that sin now. What I usually say is, I'm going to pray for you, even if I don't say it out loud, and I hope you'll grow through it. I hope you'll move beyond it, whatever the sin is, whether it's gossip or larceny. I hope that you'll move beyond it. I don't even know what larceny actually is. I just know it. It's written all the time in the papers. Whatever your sin is, my prayer is that you move beyond it. That's my prayer for you. And so when people tell me stuff, I don't say, I don't get in their face and say, oh, you're full of it. You have no idea what you're talking about. What I do is think the Holy Spirit is illuminating something that he wants you to change in your life. The Holy Spirit is working in you to change things. I'm very intentional about working on my message series months in advance. And when I sit down the week of and I try to put in, well, what's going on in the news or what current event can I tie in or what story can I tie in? My goal is never to single someone out. My goal is to ask myself, what would God tell me through this message today? What, would, what is God telling me through this message this week? So when something is illuminated in your own life, that's the Holy Spirit right there. The second thing the Holy Spirit does, is he convicts us of our sin. The Holy Spirit, when you realize, wow, I'm a sinner, whether it was the first time you came to Christ or you suddenly realize, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And you look and you go, well, I've always done this. I've always, you know, compulsively lied or I've always done this. or Whatever it is, whatever you see and you realize, why do I do that? That's the Holy Spirit convicting you and saying, you don't have to be that way anymore. And I've heard many people say, well, that's just the way I am, and I'm here to tell you today, this message is about freedom. And I don't care what the sin is. I don't care what the bondage is. I don't care what the addiction is. I don't care what the struggle is. I know that the Holy Spirit can free you. I know he can give you freedom from that. A lot of us, we want a spirit-filled life, but we fear the weirdness that comes with it. We don't want that kind of a thing where we go in and like just people out of the audience come in and start pre... That gets a little... I want to tell you, the Holy Spirit, we may not fully understand it with our human mind, but it's not about the weirdness. I've heard the stories of people barking like dogs and howling and doing all kinds of things, and all I know is this. That's people choosing to act out in that way because the Holy Spirit doesn't make you. Now, emotion can take over, but there's a difference between emotion ruling and my mind giving thoughtful adoration to God. 
Since I was 10 years old, I began speaking in tongues. I pray in tongues nearly every day. Not every day, but almost every day. But I do not burst out in the middle of the grocery store speaking in tongues and slaying people in the spirit. Why? Because I choose how I'm going to exercise that gift. I'm not overtaken. I am not, some people say, well, you just try to stifle. No, I don't. I try to stifle nothing. I've often said when people say, well, you plan everything so far ahead. Just last fall, I was at a, with a group of seven pastors, and we were talking about how we do our messages, and I told them, well, I usually write mine six months to a year at a time. And you would have thought I said I kick kittens and puppies. That's how I do it. The way <laughs> all six of them were like, what? Well, how do, what about the whole? And I said, if the Holy Spirit can't talk to me a year in advance, what makes you think he can talk to me when I'm scrambling on a Saturday night? Well, I just feel like I'm more fresh and in the moment. That's fine. I feel like I go, I spend time in prayer, and I say, lead me, guide me, direct me. What do we need to hear? Because when I'm saying this, I know most of the time, most of these messages are directed at me. I've learned that. But I generalize it. What do we as a congregation need to hear? What do we need to hear in August? You know what? I've already got it written. And I'm trusting that the Holy Spirit isn't so bound by my clock that he can't speak to me last year in November when I was working on this August. I got to believe that the Holy Spirit can say, well, here's what I'm going to have you speak on then, and it's going to be relevant. When I try to make the Holy Spirit my thing, it's the same as when I try to make God do what I want. It's the same thing as when I think I can perform a miracle. The truth is, it comes down to this. I want a spirit-filled life, but I'm afraid of the weirdness. Then don't allow the weirdness to come in. I want to introduce you to who the Holy Spirit really is in a way that says he's got a plan and a purpose for you individually. Go ahead and grab your Bible again. Turn to uh, John 14, 26. And I want to read this to you. It says, He who does not love me does not keep my words. But the word which you hear is not, I'm sorry, read the wrong verse again. I did that the first service. Let me explain real quick so I can at least tell you I'm not just an idiot. The verse, two verses above, I marked another time. And I keep looking right at my mark and start reading it. And then I knew it wasn't right. Okay, here we are. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, see, that's the right topic, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Exactly what I said before. He will bring to your remembrance. He will help you understand and know. He will help you see things. He will convict you. He is the advocate for your life. And he wants you to surrender he wants you to surrender, not free will, but willingly surrender. There's a difference. I'm not giving up my ability, my logic, or my mind, but I'm giving up my way. I'm giving up the way I want things to happen. It's so much easier to drive people with emotion. I'm not the most charismatic person in the world, but when I was much younger and I believed it should be a lot more about emotion, I allowed my charisma to drive what I was doing and manipulate people into the response I wanted. And with teenagers, to be honest, it was even easier because they're always, just to be honest, you're always on this little emotional level where at any moment you may get angry or you may cry. <laughs> it's just the reality. 
And I allowed that then to be the driving force. And then as I grew up, I learned that's manipulation, and that's not the Holy Spirit. That's Jeff wanting to get his way, wanting to get a response. And as I learned to say to the Holy Spirit, work in me and through me, but don't allow me to try and make people do what I want, I became much more free and much more able to do the things I want. The Holy Spirit is our advocate. But he requires surrender of us. And freedom only comes when we surrender. 2 Corinthians 3.17, it says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. If you think he's holding you back from being what you can, you don't understand it. This is your salvation. Again, it's just an analogy, all right? This is your salvation. The Holy Spirit allows you to unattach that cord. The Holy Spirit is saying, you don't have to be bound by the same things you were before, not because you're better than another Christian. It has nothing to be, do with being a good or a bad Christian. It has nothing to do with being better. It has to do with freedom. This has more computing power than NASA did when they landed someone on the moon. You may not know that. If you ever saw the movie Apollo 13, they actually break out an abacus. And I love that scene. They've got an abacus, and they're doing mathematical calculations on it. This has more computing power. I have all kinds of power and freedom when I walk around with this cell phone. You have that every day in your life when you allow the Holy Spirit to rule and to reign. I don't want to get into the theology of, well, when I was saved or when I was water baptized or is it a second baptism? Here's what I'm going to tell you. Ask the Holy Spirit to come in and fill your life and then walk in that. Ask him again and again and again. It's the same thing I say. People don't need to come forward for salvation multiple times. What they need is to walk in the freedom that's already promised. And they feel drugged down by their sin. They feel drugged down by their failures. They feel trapped by these things because they don't walk in the freedom that the Holy Spirit gives. When you begin to walk in the freedom that comes from the Holy Spirit, I'm going to realize that much more my sin. I'm going to realize that much more my need to put it behind me. Not to say, that's the way I was born. You're right, you were born sinful. Not to say, that's the way I was raised. I've heard that one. Not to say, well, that's the culture I'm in. Those are excuses for not wanting to change. Our desire to change has to be greater than our desire to stay the same in order for change to occur. And that seems simple, but it's the number one key if you want to begin any kind of physical program, any, whether it's weight loss or exercise or anything else, they say the first thing you have to do is actually get up and do it every day. What? I'd rather, if you know me at all, I'd rather like run like eight miles today and not have to get off my butt the rest of the week and go, got eight miles in this week, I'm good. That's what I want to do. Got it all done, I'm good now. But the truth is, I got to get up, I got to do it every day. Same thing you got to let the Holy Spirit work in and move in. We want the fruit of the Spirit. Some of us even want the gifts because we think, well, that's kind of cool. 
I'd love to have this or that, whatever it is. And the gifts are great, and I'm not downplaying them. But it's the same thing. If you only chose Jesus so you could get out of hell, then you're missing what he has for you in this life. If you're only allowing the Holy Spirit to work so that I can have some cool party tricks, you're missing what he wants to do in you and through you, which is provide you freedom away from this stuff that binds you up. I say all the time, you don't have to be in church to be a Christian. But you can't know God outside of community. You can't know God. God created us and designed us to be in community. The Holy Spirit, you can say, well, I want these things, but I won't take that. And what you're doing is you're trying to create a puppet that you control. Again, he's not asking you to give up free will, but he is asking, will you really take the gifts and allow them to work through you? Will you take the power that I'm offering and allow it to change the life you're living? We were created to follow the Holy Spirit with passion. Some of us are really bored with our life or bored with our Christian walk. And when we get bored, a lot of times people say, well, I'm not being fed, and so they'll look for another church. And I'm telling you right now, it's not my job to feed you. And if that's what you're looking for, there's churches out there that will do it, but I still say, not because you might have to go find them, but I am saying this, you're shorting yourself and what God wants to do in you. But if you're bored in your life or bored in your Christian walk, it's because we don't go on the adventure. We live in such what I call an insurance life an insurance culture, we're afraid of a lawsuit. When I was in California, I was a youth pastor. I directed camps. I did it for eight years. I was a camp director, assistant director for two years, directed for six years. In that six years, we had four lawsuits against us at camp, two of which were valid, two of which were bogus. Um, and in that time, what I learned, when I told the guy the first time I got I had to go and fill out all this paperwork and do an affidavit and stuff. I was like, I was super nervous and everything else. And I, the guy who was my guy over me, I was like, oh, man, I'm really sorry this happened. And he's like, you get sued every year. He said, it's just this time it happened at your camp. I was like, you get sued every year? He goes, yeah, at least once. I was like, over the same stuff? He goes, oh, yeah, some kid will fall and hurt their finger. And suddenly that finger to those parents is worth $80,000 and the insurance company's offering them 2000 since it wasn't even broke. <laughs> so just get used to it. I used to go and want to do things, and our business administrator at our church was a great guy, but he had worked for the county uh, for years, and his thing was, whatever we do, don't ever take any risk. Just mitigate every, don't take any risk. And I mean, I learned this also when I was a youth pastor. If you're doing it right, kids get hurt. I had, uh, we were playing ping pong, and I had a girl break her nose. We were playing this game where, like, you, kids were just throwing grapes, trying to catch them in their mouth. Kid broke his collarbone. He was committed to catching grapes. Um, broken fingers, broken wrists, so just basic injuries, because we were just having fun. I put four people in a hospital in a car accident. I didn't like that one as much. But things happened. And our business administrator wanted us to do, every time I'd say, hey, can we do this? His answer was almost always, no, we can't do that. So then I learned to do it this way and say, 
this is what we're going to do. Make sure our insurance covers us. We live in this culture that doesn't want to take any risk, that wants to cover everything. And I'm not saying get rid of your homeowner's insurance and stop having car insurance. I'm not saying be foolish, but I am saying this. When you're bored with life, understand it's probably because you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to push you and challenge you because he won't let you be bored. That's why I say, go on a missions trip. You want to be pushed and challenged? Take a missions trip. It will challenge you. I would love to go to Ukraine again. You know, I used to work with orphans in Ukraine. I've heard the number has almost doubled in the last three years of what they used to have, and they used to have nearly 100,000 orphans in their country, more than half of which are not in any type of organized orphanage. And now I've heard it's doubled because of the war that's going on in eastern Ukraine. People are sending their kids back to central Ukraine. They're everywhere. You want to challenge yourself? Go start loving on those kids. If you're bored with life, start doing that. I'm not saying you have to go there. What I'm saying is there's no reason to live a bored Christian life. And if we're living a bored Christian life, it's because we have such an insurance mentality that I've gotten rid of all risk. And the Holy Spirit is there to empower you not to do stupid, but to be bold. Not to be foolish, but to be strong. He tells us in Acts, he's given us the power. Whether that's sharing the gospel with a coworker or inviting a neighbor to church or reaching out to someone that you have a strained relationship with, even though you know, well, I haven't, my brother and I, we haven't talked in four years, then maybe it's time to talk. And allow yourself to be humble enough that the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you to do that. Many of us, we want more in our walk, and so we think we got to get saved again, or we think we got to do something. The reality is, we just need to find the freedom that's already promised to us, and then walk in that. We've got to find that freedom and walk in it. One of the things I loved about leading students on missions trips, and part of it was we had a long history, and so they'd seen some incredible things, and part of it was just the way we did our training. We'd do seven weeks of training every Sunday before we went. Every Sunday for two hours, I'd do seven weeks for seven weeks. I'd make them do stuff that I knew we were never going to do. I'd make them write testimonies, write messages. I'd make them talk to three friends at school. They could even be Christian friends, but you've got to talk to three friends at school and go over your testimony with them. Not people in youth group. You've got to find three friends at school and do this. And the reason I did that is because I wanted this trip to be not just a one week where we go and we touch kids' lives. I wanted it to be a launching pad to change their life when they got back. I wanted it to be an adventure, not an experience. Experiences are great. I have an experience when I go and watch the Mariners play. That's an experience. Or I go to a concert. That's an experience. An adventure is something I get to live with them. The Holy Spirit's looking and saying, I want you to live a life that's adventurous. Not easy, not convenient, and you may not always win. But walk in that adventure, and you'll never be bored with your faith again. So many people are leaving the church 
in the last uh, seven years, 11% of people that were in church seven years ago are not in church today. 11% is the average attendance that's down in seven years. That's not Christians in America. That's just literally we're down 11% in seven years. It's because people got bored, not because the message wasn't real. It's because they don't allow the Holy Spirit to move and challenge them to change. And they've gotten somewhere and they're like, well, this is good and this is comfortable and this is boring, so I'm not going anymore. The preacher doesn't say what I want, so I'm not going anymore. The worship team doesn't play what I like, so I'm not going. I'm better than this. I could do a better job, so I'm not going anymore. Whatever their reasoning, whatever their whatever, that isn't even to say they're not following God anymore. That's to say they're not going to church anymore. At that rate, at the rate we're losing people, in most of our lifetimes, there'll be no need for church to exist because no one will be going. You want to turn that tide? You want to see something different? Start living a life of adventure and challenge others to do the same? And let the Holy Spirit just work through you always. Daily, get up and say, Holy Spirit, move in me. Holy Spirit, work through me. Show me who needs to hear a message today. Final thing I want to say, I read a statistic this week um, of people who are evangelical believers that are not, that are unchurched. In other words, they went to church and they left church. The highest percentage in the country of evangelical believers that doesn't uh, go to church is um, Philadelphia. The second highest in the country is Seattle, Washington. Nearly 41% of people who identify themselves as evangelical Christians no longer go to church. So 41% are saying, for whatever reason, the church failed them, they got bored with it, it was whatever. And that breaks my heart for this reason. God wants to do so much more in us than we can imagine. And how are we going to do that when we don't come together to be challenged, inspired, and to fully know God? I've told you before, what happens in those seats during our greeting time or what happens in the Java Doc is far more important than what I'm doing right here. And the reason that is, is because that's where you guys can pray together. That's where you guys can love one another. That's where you guys can encourage one another. That's where you guys can hold one another's hand when you're going through grief. That's where the church can be the church. And a small group on Tuesday night in someone's home. And on the Sunday night discussion groups, I think this is the last week, and they get together and they talk about the sermon in the morning. That's where you guys, that's where we're most like what God created the church to be. And it's not because it's a smaller group. It's because it's people coming together and sharing life together. I want to challenge you in those things. Because I don't want to look and see the percentage just keep climbing. And over the next 10 years, instead of it being 40%, 41%, it being 65%, 70% of people that, yeah, I love God, but I'm not going to go to church anymore. I'm not saying the church hasn't failed people. It has. It's been judgmental. But at the same time, it's the organization that man created in an effort to connect with God 
And Jesus looks and says, I love the church and the church is my bride. And I can't stand it when somebody makes fun of the bride. I just don't like it. If you're at a wedding, someone's making fun of the bride, not a good thing. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a perfect system, but I'm saying it's the system we have. And I want to win a lost and dying world. And if we're so concerned with, well, I don't like the way he dresses. I don't, he didn't even shake my hand. You know, I, I say, I'm up here all the time. Just come up and shake my hand. <laughs> I've heard people say, well, I just want a church where I feel like, you know, you'll, pray, you'll have prayer more. And I said last week, if you want to be prayed for, come up here. I'll find people to pray for you. I'll pray for you. Well, got oil right in here, ready to go. What you need, what you really need, is to feel loved and valued. And that's what I want us to do, is help a lost and dying world, and more and more, help a world who, they love God, they know God, but the church has failed them. Truth is, stick around long enough, I will fail you. I will. I will get mad at you. I will forget to say happy birthday to you. You'll be sick and I won't even know it. You'll be struggling with some issue and I'll keep saying, oh, i got to call them tomorrow and do 20 other things that are sitting there. And four or five days goes by and I go, oh, i got to call them tomorrow. Make notes while I'm sitting here sometimes because I don't want to forget. Literally, I'm sending myself messages that, oh, I've got to do this. I'm going to fail you. But here's what I can honestly say. The Holy Spirit will never fail you. God will never fail you. Jesus will always be there for you. And even in this imperfect system, I will love you to the best of my ability. But let's make sure we keep letting the Holy Spirit give us a life of adventure so that we're risking something and we don't get bored with what's happening. If you're bored with church, it's because you're not letting the Holy Spirit move you. You haven't outgrown it. You haven't moved beyond it. It's that you're not challenged enough. Your life has almost gotten too easy. And you say, but Jeff, I've got so much in my life. Then why wouldn't you want to be in the presence of God and in the presence of his people? Father God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit, and I thank you that Jesus baptizes us with that Holy Spirit. I pray that you would just continue to illuminate to us, continue to convict us, bring things to our minds, challenge us. And since we are spirit and we know your spirit, I pray that we would know your Holy Spirit more and more in us that he would continue to advocate on our behalf and that we would allow the fruit to shine and the gifts to be active in us. In your name, amen. If you still have one of these little kits, oh look, this is a little double kit. If you still have a kit, please put it together, bring it back. I will be collecting them for the next, and if you don't get it to me for three months, that's fine, but you don't really want it sitting around your kitchen counter for three months. So, Throw it in your car this week, bring it on out, and I'll get it down to the police department. I'm making a run down there this week, so let's get them. Have a blessed week. We'll see you next week. Bye.